I uh, want to mention one last thing before we dive in. Um, John and Betty uh, have registered for some different supplies that they need as they prepare to leave in just a few months. John's going to actually be heading to Burkina in June and then Betty shortly after in July. And so they've actually registered at Target, at Home Depot, and Walmart for supplies. And uh, like they said, they're family, okay? They're not just some missionaries off the beaten path that we found and brought in. They are West Ridge people. And so as a church, um, we want to take care of them. We want to support them and what God's called them to. So tomorrow on the Westridge website, you can go to westridge.com and on our blog page, there's going to be more details about those supplies that they need. And uh, we would love for you to go to those stores, pick some of those up and, uh, and bring them back to Westridge so that we can get them to John and Betty before they go. All right. Thank you guys. Well, let's do this. Let's get our Bibles out and uh, let's turn them open to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. And uh, today we start a brand new series like Matt has said earlier. And uh, this series is one on prayer. And so I thought in order to get us started today, I would take just a minute and ask us some questions. And I want to encourage you to be honest this morning. All right, I'm going to be honest as well, but uh, no lying in church allowed. Okay, so here are the questions and you can just throw your hands up if this is true. Okay, um, when it comes to prayer, I wonder how many of us in the room would say that at times over the course of our Christian life, we have struggled to pray consistently. How many of us would say, yeah, that's true? Okay, so most of us. Um, how many of us have wondered at times if we were praying the right way, saying the right things? All right, again, a lot of us. Um, how many of us in the room have struggled at times in understanding what in the world we needed to pray for? A lot of us. Uh, and last question, how about this one? How many in the room have struggled with prayer because at times we didn't feel like our prayers were working or maybe we just didn't feel like God was hearing us? Yeah? Okay, so a, a lot of us. For those of you that raised your hands, I would say thanks for your honesty. And, uh, and I would also say to you that I have been right there with you at times. Uh, I've told you several times I was a kid who grew up in church at 14 years old, made a decision to place my faith in Jesus as Savior. And for the last 16 years of my life, um, I have had instances and times and seasons where prayer has been a huge, huge struggle for me. And as I look back on those moments and, and I've tried to figure out what went on there, I've realized that for me, the reason I struggled with prayer during those times, really simple. Really simple, and it boils down to two big reasons, and here are the reasons. In those moments, in those seasons of life where I struggled with prayer, I failed during those times to understand the purpose of prayer, and also I failed in those times to understand the power of prayer. And I think if you're honest this morning, if you've ever struggled or struggling now, um, those are things that probably have identified you as well, you, you just don't get it and you don't understand how powerful it truly is. Uh, again, as a church kid, I remember sitting in services and hearing my pastors tell me that as a Christian, I needed to pray, right? Like, you know Jesus, good Christians pray, so you should pray. And so I'd walk away from those services going, okay, well, I guess I need to pray. And I would try to pray and then I would struggle because, again, I would go, man, I don't know what I'm praying for. What am I supposed to say to God? I, I don't even know what to ask for. And is he hearing me. And so in my brain, the purpose of prayer was, well, it's just what Christians do, right? 
Like, that was all I thought it was about. If I'm a Christian, if I know Jesus, I'm just supposed to pray. And so, because I lack the understanding of prayer's ultimate purpose, big purpose, at times my prayer life became very inconsistent and a lot of times non-existent. When it came to understanding the power of prayer, here's what held me back in that area. And some of you guys are going to get this as well. Um, Two things, pride and impatience. Pride and impatience. My personality has always been that if something needed to be done, I was going to figure out how to do it and make it happen because I believed I could do it better than anybody else. And honestly, I was too impatient to wait for anybody else to do what I know needed to be done. Right? Some of you guys hear that and you go, uh, totally me. Um, You're a control freak, just like I am. And uh, you don't like anybody else being in control, right? And so um, I'll give you a great example of pride and impatience in, in my life and maybe this will connect. Uh, how many of you guys, when you were in school and college, hated doing group projects? Hated them. Okay, I hated group projects in school because I always got stuck in the group with the people who waited till last minute to do the work, barely did enough to get a passing grade, right? Um, they'd come in and our project, the part that they did would be kind of duct taped together, have paper clips, you know, that kind of person. And uh, if you're here this morning and you're going, no man, I love group projects. You were the paperclip duct tape kid, right? Like you were the person none of us liked being in a group with. Do your work, right? That's what we wanted to say to you. Um, hated being in a group project. And, and uh, by the time I got to college, I remember, and, and for whatever reason, I, I was a psych major in college. I guess they felt like we needed each other. So we had a lot of group projects in my major classes. And, uh, and I just remember getting to the point where I would take the load of the work, give me the most important part, and I'm going to do it because I think I can do it better than you guys, and I don't trust you to get it done on time. And you know what that is? It's pride and it's impatience. That's what it is. And some of you guys get it because you're like me, and you're prideful, and you're impatient. And uh, when it's come to prayer, here's what I've realized about myself. There have been too many times in my life where I have approached prayer with way too much pride and way too little patience and I've started to treat God like my group project buddy, right? Like I come to God and go, okay, God, here's what I would like for you to do, and but God, I got to tell you, I don't know if I really trust you enough to get it done, and here's what I want it done by, and God, if you can't get it done in that amount of time, then I'll just take it back, and I'll do it myself. Again, control freak. I need to be in control, and when I'm not, I freak out, and you guys get it, and for me, it's made an impact on my prayer life at times, and I've realized throughout the course of my prayer life that I have failed at certain times in certain seasons of my life to trust in God's power and his timing. And for some reason, I've let myself believe that I'm more powerful and better timing at at certain things than he is. And again, because of that, prayer life at, at points has been inconsistent, non-existent. Some of you guys, again, you're here and you go, I get that. That's totally me. And if you're here, you connect, you identify prayer as a struggle or it has been because you miss the purpose, you miss its power. Um, I have good news for you, okay? And here's the good news. First, you're not alone. I I promise you're not the only person sitting in church this morning that's going, dude, I don't know what I'm doing with this thing, right? Um, Secondly, I would say this. This book that I hold in my hands has all the answers we need when it comes to prayer, every single one of them, not lacking in any area. 
And as we talk about prayer over the next several weeks, I want to challenge you, encourage you to be here each week so that we can let this book give us the answers that some of us desperately need and desperately want. When you read the Bible, here's what you find when you get into the Gospels. Luke chapter 11, you find some of Jesus' friends, his disciples, coming to him, and they ask Jesus to teach them how to pray. So that tells me, just like a lot of us, Jesus' own friends and followers had questions about prayer. And I don't know what their exact questions were, but I'm assuming probably some of the same questions we came in here with today. And so Jesus in Luke 11 responds to his disciples with the same prayer that we're going to be studying over the next several weeks from Matthew 6. Um, The thing I love so much about the Matthew 6 passage is when Jesus teaches, he doesn't just start with teaching them how to pray. What he does is he starts and he teaches them how not to pray. And so this tells me that Jesus thinks it's just as important for us today to understand what to avoid in prayer as it is for us to understand what to practice in prayer. So that's what we're going to talk about today, how not to pray. So if you have your Bibles out again, Matthew 6, and we're going to start reading in verse 5. If you don't have a Bible, you can follow along up here on the screens. Here's what Jesus says. He says, when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. And truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, Jesus says, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. So two big ideas in this passage that Jesus teaches when it comes to how not to pray, okay? The first one is this. Jesus says, when you pray, don't be fake. Don't be fake when you pray. Here's how Jesus says it. He says, listen, when it comes to prayer, don't pray like the hypocrites. Now, that term hypocrite Back in the time of Jesus, it was a term used to refer to a person who would get on a stage like this and take part in a performance. They were an actor. And these people that they called hypocrites, what they would do is they would put on a mask and they would wear this mask and they would perform a show. They would be pretending to to be someone that they weren't for the sake of putting on a performance for other people. And so basically what Jesus is saying here is when you pray, don't be like those people who are just acting. Don't be a faker. Don't be a pretender. When you read the Gospels, you hear Jesus constantly referring to a lot of the religious leaders of his day, especially the Pharisees, as hypocrites. And he calls them that name for a simple reason, because according to Jesus, they didn't really love God. They were just going through religious motions in order to make people around them believe that they loved him. They were just practicing religion for the sake of impressing other people. We see that Jesus calls them out in places like Matthew 15 where he encounters the Pharisees and he says to them, you hypocrites, you're pretending, you're faking, you're acting. And then he goes, listen, your lips, man, they're, they're close to the Lord. You talk a big game and you say all the right churchy religious things, but Jesus goes, your heart, it's so far from him. There's not any love for God there. You're, you're a hypocrite. You're pretending. You're pretending. Jesus calls him out in in Matthew 23, and again, he sees the Pharisees, you hypocrites. And he compares them to whitewashed tombs. So, like, 
in essence, you go to a graveyard and there's a gravestone there, a headstone. Jesus is going, that's what you're like. You're like one of those headstones that's beautiful, it's brand new, it's nicely washed. But if you were to dig up the ground, it's just full of death. It's full of dead man's bones. And Jesus goes, you're a pretender, you're a faker. On the outside, you're doing everything right. You're going through the motions, saying the right things. You look really religious, but on the inside, you're full of death. There's no love for God inside of you. Jesus, again here in Matthew 6, he's calling out these same men by telling us not to pray like them. During the time of Jesus, the Jewish people would have certain times of the day where they would stop and they would pray. So no matter what was going on, clock strikes a certain hour, I'm stopping, I'm praying. Now, during these times, the busiest places were the synagogue, was the church. A lot of places would, or people would make the journey to the church and they'd pray there. Well, other times it was busy street corners, Right? And so Jesus says these hypocritical men, these religious leaders, what they would happen to do during these times of prayer is they would just happen to find themselves in the middle of the synagogue where there's a lot of people around. They would just happen to find themselves on the busiest of street corners where there's a lot of people around. And they would start with these elaborate, unbelievable, amazing, very churchy, very religious prayers not to impress God, but to impress everybody listening and watching. Like, their only hope was, I hope these people think I'm awesome. Hope I'm impressing somebody. And and today, I think it's real easy to kind of pick out people who do this kind of thing because it's those people who they offer prayers up and uh, the tone of their voice changes, right? Uh, They use every Bible verse they know and they're like 20-minute prayer and they use all the theological terms they've ever learned throughout their whole life that none of the rest of us know what in the world they mean. And the rest of us are going, man, I don't even want to pray now, right? I mean, I'm going to sound like a second grader if I pray after that guy. That was unbelievable. Jesus' point in these verses is don't pray like those people. They're fakers, They're pretenders. They're putting on a show. They're praying to impress people. And Jesus is reminding us here that God is not impressed by those kind of prayers. God doesn't answer fake prayers. He doesn't reward fake prayers. And that's why Jesus goes, when you pray, don't be a hypocrite. Don't be an actor. Don't go through the motions. Don't pretend to be somebody you're not for the sake of impressing other people. The second big idea Jesus teaches in this passage is this. He says, when you pray, don't be annoying. Don't be annoying. Um, And here's how Jesus says it. He goes, listen, when you pray, don't be like the Gentiles. And some of your Bibles say, don't be like the pagans who believe that they're going to be heard because of their many words. Back in the time of Jesus, the, the pagan people, the Gentile people, believed that the more you repeated something in prayer the more powerful your words would become, the more magical your prayer would become, and the more likely the gods would be to answer you. Um, There's a great example of this in the Old Testament in the book of 1 Kings. Some of you guys know this story. Uh, It's about a prophet named Elijah. And uh, he's living in the nation during the time where there's a lot of false prophets and there's this one false god named Baal that all of these people are following. And so Elijah basically comes to the prophets of this false god and he said, hey, let's have a showdown, right? Like, let's pit our gods against each other and see who the true god is and, uh, and whoever responds, we'll just worship that god, okay? And so Elijah's plan was this. Let's build a couple of altars. 
Let's kill a couple of bulls. We'll put them on the altars. And we'll ask our gods to send fire down from heaven. And whichever God responds, we'll, we'll worship him. So everybody agreed. And the prophets of Baal went first because there was a lot of them. And the Bible says that after they built their altar, set their bull up there, that they started praying from morning to noon. And here was their prayer. Are you ready? It was, O Baal, answer us. 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 Do you hear how annoying that is? O Baal, answer us. O Baal, answer us. Kept on all day long. And I love at one point, Elijah stops and he goes, hey, maybe Baal's out to the bathroom. Maybe he's relieving himself is what the Bible says. Or maybe he's asleep and you guys need to shout a little bit louder. Nothing happens. And so Elijah, after they're done putting on their show, being annoying, he comes back and he prays to God and he says, God, would you answer me? To answer me today, God, so that these people watching will know that you are the one true God. And the Bible says that God sends fire from heaven and burns the altar up in response. All these people fall on their face and they're worshiping the one true God. You see, Jesus' point here in this passage is this. It's that long, repetitious, pagan-like, annoying prayers are not required to gain God's attention. They're not. Let me free some of you up today, all right? If you know Jesus, if you are a son or a daughter of God, you have God's attention. He's listening. And what he wants from you is nothing more than for you just to stop and talk to him. That's it. How many of us in the room have kids? Okay, I have a nine-month-old, and she hasn't started this yet, but I'm waiting for the day. Um, you guys that have small kids, you can remember this time in your life. You remember how um, those times were when your kids would just pester the heck out of you to try to get your attention, right? They'd smack you and pull at your clothes and, mom, 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 dad, 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 and that's what it was. And the worst part is, and I've seen kids do this, like, they finally get your attention, you're like, what do you need, baby? They say, just, and they keep on, right? It's annoying. Listen, parents, what do you want? You want your kids just to tell you what they need. Say what you want. Talk to me. You've got to know that God's the same way. He just wants you to come and to speak to him from your heart as one of his kids. That's what God wants. That's what prayer is about. That's it. Um, last week, and I'm sharing this in light of this truth that we don't need a lot of words to get God's attention. Instead, he just wants us to talk to him from our heart. And God's response to our words, at times we don't need a lot of words to get God to respond. Last week, Easter weekend, um, I don't know how many of you guys were here for the 5 o'clock service on Saturday night. Okay, moment of honesty for me, that was a weird service for me personally. I got up on stage to speak, and, and I'm just, again, <laughs> complete honesty. I felt like I was having an out-of-body experience. Like I couldn't focus I felt like my attention was somewhere else, and, and I got up on the stage to teach, and I walked off of here, and all I know is that I stood right back there in the back, and I just went, God, what in the world just happened out there? I mean, this was me. It had nothing to do with you. It was me. And I pulled Brian and, and Matt aside after the service, and I went, I felt like that was a train wreck for me. I felt horrible. I felt awful. My head was off. I didn't feel good. And, uh, and I said, guys, I, I don't know what else to do but just pray right now. And so between services, between five and seven, I sat back in, in that office back there, a cup of coffee, and that helped some. Um, 
But I prayed. I prayed. And here was my simple prayer. I just sat back there and I said, God, help me. That was it. God, help me. And I said to him, I'm sorry if I went into this weekend too lightly. I'm sorry if I didn't pray enough before now. But God, I need you to help me. I feel horrible right now. Help me. Help me. Help me. Parents, how many of you would not come running to your kid if they ask you to help? You see, we've got to understand this is how God feels about us. This is who he is. And God doesn't need a lot of words from us when we pray. He just needs a lot of heart. He wants our hearts when we pray. Some of the shortest prayers in the Bible were prayers that God answered. You remember when Peter was walking on the water and he sank because he took his eyes off Jesus, Matthew 14? And what did he pray? He prayed, Lord, save me. And what was Jesus' response? It wasn't, um, keep talking. Right? I don't know. Let's see what else. You got anything else besides save me? I mean, tell me how awesome I Like, keep going. Oh, what did Jesus do? Lord, save me. And he reached his hand down into the water where Peter was, and he saved him. Long, repetitious, wordy prayers are not required to gain the attention of God. He just wants our hearts when we pray. That's it. I love this quote from John Bunyan. It's stuck with me for years now. He said, in prayer, it is better to have a heart without words than words without a heart. It is better to have a heart without words than words without a heart. This is what God wants from us. He wants us to talk to him as his kids from a very open, honest, and sincere place. So Jesus says this. He goes, okay, instead of being fake when you pray, instead of being annoying when you pray, here's what you need to do. Jesus says, go into your room, shut the door, and pray to God, trusting and knowing that he is your father who knows what you need before you ever ask him. That's what Jesus tells us to do. Now, I do want you to know that Jesus, this teaching is not discounting public prayer, okay? Um, Jesus prayed publicly. His disciples prayed publicly. The early church, we see in the scripture, prayed publicly. But Jesus' point is this. He's saying when you and I can get away somewhere private, it allows for our focus to be solely on God and on him alone. And Jesus says when that happens and when we use prayer appropriately, that God will always reward us. Always reward us. Now, I think that's good news because if I'm praying, I mean, that's awesome to hear that there's a reward there. Because, I mean, honestly, isn't that what we want out of our prayer life is is reward, right? Now, here's what I want to tell you. I want to tell you today what the greatest reward of prayer is. Are you ready? It's the presence of God. The greatest reward that we get from God when we pray is his presence. That's it. Nothing more, nothing less. The book of Hebrews, chapter 4, 16, tells us that because of what Jesus did for us on the cross, we now, as sinful people, can walk anytime we want into the presence of God and speak to him with confidence. We can speak to him with courage and with boldness. We can speak to him openly, honestly, plainly, as sons and daughters speak to their father, all because Jesus made a way for that to be possible. Church, listen to me. If you're here this morning and you hear that, that that's the greatest reward of prayer. God giving you his presence. And your response to that is, um, James, that's awesome and that's cool, but how can I get God to answer me? 
And how can I know that my prayers are working? And how can I know I'm praying the right things? Don't worry. We're going to teach that in the next weeks, but, or in the next few weeks. But listen to me. Here's what you got to get. If you miss that the greatest reward of prayer is you getting to step into the presence of God and speak directly to him, none of those other questions matter. They don't. They don't matter. Church, do this for me, okay? Um, I want you to stop right now and just think today about how incredible prayer truly is. I just want you to think about it, okay? Listen to me. The Bible says that God, who spoke creation into being, God, who right now is causing your heart to beat in your chest, blood to pump through your veins, air to go in and out of your lungs. God, who is all-knowing, all-powerful, everywhere at all times, eternal, self-existent, doesn't need anything from anybody. The God who right now is holding the universe together. And so when we pray, we get to speak directly to that God. Listen, as sons and daughters, you've got to know our words do not fall on deaf ears. God is not a God we've got to leave a message for, and he'll get back to us later. The Bible says we get to speak words. You get to talk words, and God hears you, and he listens to you, and he responds to you. How insane is it that when you and I speak in prayer, the God of the universe would actually turn his ear and listen to what we have to say? This is the greatest reward that prayer offers us. A theologian named Warren Wearsby rightly said that prayer is a miracle. It's a miracle. R.C. Sproul, another theologian, wrote that we can never afford to get that prayer is the creature, us, speaking to our sovereign creator. Listen to me. If you want to have a powerful, if you want to have a consistent, healthy prayer life, you can never lose perspective on what the greatest reward of prayer truly is. And it is you getting to walk into the presence of God and have him turn his ear to hear what you have to say. That's it. Um, back in college, I, I wrote a paper on an old dead guy named Martin Luther. And uh, I tell you all the time, read old dead guys who love Jesus. They have some great things to say. Martin Luther, I wrote this paper about his theology on the cross and uh, changed my life, man. I mean, this guy's courage and boldness inspired me so much. Martin Luther is uh, the Catholic priest that back in the early 1500s went and posted the 95 theses on the door of the Catholic Church and uh, just kind of expressed his concerns what was going on in the church. And because of what he did and his unwillingness to recant everything he had posted, uh, he was excommunicated from the Catholic Church, hunted down, arrested, and uh, threatened with his life. Well, Martin Luther, when he was still a priest, before all this stuff happened, he was asked to lead communion in the church one day. And uh, he was supposed to get up, brand new priest, first time ever doing this, lead communion, and before people took it, he was supposed to pray a prayer, simple prayer. Here's what he was supposed to say. He was supposed to pray, we offer unto thee the living, the true, the eternal God. That was it. That was it. So here's how it played out. He got up on stage, he stood in front of the communion table, and he froze. He didn't say a word, he just stood there. I mean, that's uncomfortable, that's awkward for everybody, right? And so 
time's going by. Everybody's wondering what in the world's happening. And Martin stands there, stands there, stands there, never says a word, walks off stage and sits back in his seat. After the service was over, he had guys coming up to him going, Martin, what in the world just happened? You bombed, you froze. And somebody asked him, did you forget the prayer? Did you forget what you were about to say? And Martin said, no, nah, I didn't forget the prayer. And instead, here was his response. He said, at these words, I was utterly stupefied and terror-stricken. He said, I thought to myself, with what, with what tongue shall I address such majesty, seeing that all men ought to tremble in the presence of even an earthly prince? Who am I that I should lift up my eyes or raise my hands to the divine majesty? The angels surround him. At his nod, the earth trembles. And shall I, a miserable little pygmy, say, I want this, I ask for that. For I am dust and ashes and full of sin. And I am speaking to the living, the eternal, and the true God. That's prayer. That's a right perspective. That's a right response in light of who we talk to when we pray. See, I believe that this perspective changes prayer immediately. When we can stop and realize before we ever speak a word to God who He is and who we're about to address and we're left in amazement that that God would actually listen to us, that will change the way that we pray. Um, Matt and I spent some time talking about our series over the next couple weeks, and what we want to do each week is take time in a service just to teach a simple response to God. And today, here's what we want to teach, and here's how we want to respond. Um, we want to respond to God today in silence. In silence. Um, we're going to pray in a few minutes. But I wanted us to, to get to a point today before we ever us uttered a word to the Lord where we could just sit in silence and think about who he is and who we're getting ready to talk to. As Psalm 4610 says, there are times where we just need to be still, be quiet, and know that he is God and that we're not. So right now in this moment, I just want to invite you to just bow your heads, close your eyes, and not say anything. I want you right now where you sit in your seat to think about all that God is. And again, he, he created everything. Everything is his. It belongs to him. It exists for him. Without him, nothing that was made would have been made. The Bible says we wouldn't even exist on this earth if he would have never thought of us. The Bible says right now in his presence there are angels covering their face covering their feet because they can't stand to, to look upon his glory. They can't even bring themselves to stand in his presence. Right now, eternal beings are casting crowns down at his feet and crying out about how holy and how worthy of a God he is. Right now, before we say anything to him, I just want you to sit and think about who it is we're getting ready to talk to.
want you to take a moment and just thank God for the miracle of prayer. Right in your seat, I just want to encourage you to thank God that you as His creature, His creation, get to speak to Him as your creator and that He is listening to you right now as you speak words. Thank God for the miracle of prayer. God, you are so good to us. God, I just pray for myself and for everybody here this morning, God, that you would help us to always keep a right perspective on who you are, God, before we ever speak a word to you. God, we do just come to you this morning and thank you for the miracle of prayer, God, that when we speak words, you listen and you respond. Father, I pray that you would just help this church, God, to just be full of people who love to pray, love to talk to you. God, because we get what prayer is and we get how powerful it is. Father, don't ever let us forget, God, that prayer cost Jesus everything. I pray that we would never take it lightly, God, this unbelievable privilege we have to come and to speak to you as God, as Father. Lord, use the prayers of this church, God, to to do great things for your kingdom, Lord. We love you so much, and we pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.